0: Talk Radio. Has anyone ever told you you dream too big, that you have too many ideas, that you need to be realistic? What if there was a career and lifestyle that you could completely design yourself that enabled you to do what makes your heart truly sing? Join us for the next hour and learn to trust your aha moments to lead the way to a passionate and purposeful life. And now here's your host, Mari. I'm I appreciate it. We'll <laughs> Welcome to Transformation 2012, a telephone dedicated to the inspiration, education, and enlightenment of light workers worldwide. With your host, Mari Lai from the Aha Moments Radio Show and 10 of the most powerful spiritual leaders of our time. In this new energy, anything is possible. And now here's your host, Maury. Well, welcome to the Transformation 2012 Power Summit. Tonight's call is actually being pre recorded because our special day, Fraser is actually in London. And you know what? When we do these calls yeah, 7 o'clock all time or Eastern time, it's like after midnight in the UK. So we decided to do this nice and early and do a nice uh, pre record. So, yes, um, I know you guys are useful to being able to ask questions during the call. Uh, we won't be able to do that tonight for you, but we do have Hazel's blog page. So if you go on the Transformation2012 website, it will say um, www.balltransformation2012.com. And there's uh, Hazel's page, and it has blog comments down at the bottom. So if you have any questions, go ahead, write them in the blog comment section. We're going to see if we can get Hazel. Someone in her busy schedule look at some of these questions and maybe give you a couple of comments. And, um, some answers. But I think you're gonna find so much uh, in tonight's call and also in her book countdown people. Have. So let's uh let's say hi to Hazel. Hey Hazel, how are you tonight? I'm very well, thank you, Mari. How are you? I'm um, great, and thank you so much for being on our call. This is our fireside side chat. I just love the uh, the way the beach these calls go and um I wanted to get down to your story because, I, you know, I don't start this call with a big, long bio, credentials and all that. I want you to kind of unfold um, your story for everybody. So, tell everybody just how you got started with this whole scientific theory journey experiments, all these things that you've gone and explored and do and so you have a very telling story that you started on that. Okay, and like well... Uh, uh, my story is um, pretty long, actually, in the sense that um, when I was in my thirties, um, and my next door neighbour, I was very vacuous, and I thought that the only thing that mattered in life was how much money people had, or what clothes they wore, and I really was a very, rather horrible person, very superficial. And what happened was my next door neighbour died when I was in my, I think I must have been my late thirties, and after about a week, I thought, well, you know, I really ought to go over and say I'm really sorry for this lady and and give her my best wishes and all that. And when I went over there, she said she wasn't crying or anything. And I said, you know, you really should shed a few tears. And she said, oh no, she said I can hear and see my husband any time i like. And I thought, uh-oh, this lady needs some Valium, you know, and quickly, oh, she's a psychiatrist. So <laughs> what happened was she explained to me about the spirit world, and it was just something, like a light went on in my head, and she gave me this um, little book. It's called The Little Book of Cannelling, and it was by a guy called Tony Meek. I don't know if it's still in print, but it's a tiny, tiny book, and I stayed up the whole of that night to read it. And it was like a whole new world opened up before me. And then my life went on, and I was very interested in alternative health. And to cut a very, very long story short, about two or three years after I sort of started meditating with my next door neighbor every week and so on, I woke up in the middle of the night one night, and this voice was in my head saying, Write, you have to write. And I woke up the next morning, and I said to my husband, my ever long-suffering husband, I said, "I'm going to become a journalist." And he said, "Of course you are, my dear." And (laughs) within six months, with no qualifications whatsoever, and by this time in my middle forties, I became the UK's first alternative health agony aunt in one of our national papers called the Daily Mail. And then I went on to become a uh, journalist, a weekly columnist in the Sony Times, which is like the biggest broadsheet in the U.K. And then I was going about my world, you know, I mean, I, I was becoming more and more and more spiritual. And then one day, on April the 8th, 1998, I walked into Harvard it was just before Easter, actually. Um, and I went into Harvard to buy some Easter eggs and various bits and pieces because I had the family coming that weekend. And as I went through the turnstile that used to be there in the bread hall, it was as if this amazing volcanic eruption went off inside my body. Um, I had intense energy pulsing through my body, tremendous pain in my chest and in my head. And within about four or five seconds, I could hear this voice shouting in my head that I knew had not come from me. And it said, see a doctor now. And so I I made my way outside. Um, I called my driver. I called my doctor. My doctor has known me a very long time. Um, He said, you need to come here right now. I believed in that moment, Mari, that I only had minutes to live. I thought I'd had. The pain was so severe in my chest. I thought I'd had a massive heart attack. So they got me to my doctor. put me straight on the floor and attached all the heart monitors to me and they were playing my heartbeat down the phone to a cardiologist while I was giving messages of farewell to my daughter and my husband. It was all very, very intense. And then as all that was going on, I realised in that moment that I was starting to feel what the doctor was thinking in my head. And so when I started saying to him, what the cardiologist was saying about my heart, I already knew that my heartbeat was perfect. And so as I started saying all this to Brian, I'm really not sure who was more shocked, whether it was him or me. And I just felt completely different. So the long and short of it is, Brian, my doctor, said, well, obviously something big has happened, but I don't know what it is. Um, and he said, you better go home. He said, I'll call your husband. And he said, go home, go to bed, and have a cup of tea, because, over here in England, a couple of years are up to after absolutely everything. And so I make my way home uh, to our London house. And when I got there, when I looked in the mirror I looked much younger. My eyes were a completely different colour. They were like a sapphire blue. Um, yeah. And I, considering the shock I just had, I couldn't quite understand what was going on. And so I got on the bed and when my husband walked in, obviously he was very concerned and he said, what on earth is going on? And I started talking in a voice that didn't belong to me and I said, I am very special and I'm going to be able to do things that are very special. And like, you know, Stuart's eyes were bulging out of his head, you know, and he thought, what on earth is going on? And it was as if, Marie, whatever question I needed to ask, I automatically received back Dozens of answers, but because I didn't know which the any were correct. And I kept saying to my husband, look into my eyes and you'll know who I am. But in that moment, I didn't know who the I was. Anyway, um, as the days went on, I developed terrible fever. I had this voice in my head and speaking through me. I was affecting and being affected by electrical equipment. I started producing ash. I... I was totally telepathic, mm-hmm. um, and at the know end, end I, I oh, right, produced well, ash. What, what happened was, um, as the experience unfolded, ash would appear near me, like little small piles of ash, and nobody could figure out like where they were coming from. We just couldn't figure it out. I mean, we're getting the, the condensed version here, as you get what yeah. I'm um, because all of this took place over many weeks and. To begin with, I wasn't being allowed by some force outside of myself to eat any physical food. Um, and I love my food. I'm very thin, but I eat a heck of a lot. And um, in the end, by the Easter Saturday, I knew I was dying. I mean, this is not... Imagine, one day you're a mum, you're a housewife, I'm going around, I've got my column at this one at time. And the next minute, you, I was uh, levitated once. Um mm-hmm. Imagine that you have all these unbelievable phenomena happening to and around you, and it completely freaks me out. And not to mention this voice shouting in my head, and so on and so forth. Anyway, the point was in the end, um, over Easter, Dr. Fenn came to live with us um, because I knew I couldn't call a normal orthodox medical doctor. I knew that this was something different. And on the Easter Saturday afternoon, I lost my physical body, and I found myself like floating on the ceiling, looking at this like film almost below me. And it took me a while to realise that what was below me was my body, which was wrapped with fever, and I'd lost a huge amount of weight. Um, But anyway, the long and short of it is I came back, um, and over many months. Um, everything, all of my experiences started to reduce somewhat, um, and in the end, because I was a journalist, very interested in spiritual matters, I left the sunny Times, and I started on this journey as to finding scientists from around the world who were able to explain to me what I had been through and how I was able to, just me, an ordinary person, was able to affect, at that time, I can no longer do those things. Um, and how I was able to do that. Um, So first of all, I'd agreed with Spirit that I would write the true story of what happened to me. And so back in about 2000, that story is called Divine Intervention, the book. Um, And that was first published. And then I went on to do a second book in the trilogy called The Evidence for the Sixth Sense. And finally, i have just written the book that we're talking about today, Countdown to Coherence, but the main thing to get over to your wonderful audience is that what I wrote for is called A Spiritual Emergency. And this is mm-hmm. when a spiritual awakening becomes a physical crisis and mind sore became a crisis. And one of the first books uh, that I found was called The Stormy Search for Self. And it was written by an amazing man called Professor Stanislav Grof. C-R-O-F. And it was... Mm-hmm. His wife um Dan has spent nearly sixty years studying altered states, and he realized that it's actually our birthright all of us are capable of miracles, and that you just need to learn how to access this part of yourself and um, that is available to every single one of us, but you don't have to go through what I went through to get there, and so that's been my journey. First of all, explaining to, because there's so many people now in mental homes who, who also perhaps are having spiritual emergency, maybe hearing voices, um, people having spiritual breakthroughs of to varying degrees, don't yeah. know what earth is going on. And so it's like my journey has been to know that these things are possible. I'm very lucky to be alive and come through and to still be very grounded as I am today, back to my old self. Um, but my, I think my reason for being here is to teach others how to raise their levels of what's known as coherence, brain coherence, so that they can have access to what people, what many people would term miracles. Wow. Well, you know, this is interesting because I know that um, the the whole, you know, obviously this whole telephone is about personal transformation. And we have actually another speaker who went through now I know what it's called before. He said he's gone on certain he's got in a spiritual emergency as as well to come to this amazing amazing awakening and start a whole channeling thing. But I don't want people to feel like you have to go through this level of intensity in order to connect with your intuition, with your eyes, with your you know, spiritual self. you think that there's something? Did you ever get from your guides a, a reason why you went through such a dramatic burst forward in your 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 story? Well, my well, well what what happened to me was I was working about seventy odd hours a week as a columnist. Mm. Okay. And so what happened to me was for months before my experience happened. I kept getting all these uh, messages from various friends, mediums, and so on, who said, you'll never believe who wants to work with you in the spirit world. And when they told me, I just used to burst out laughing, basically. Um, And I think that in the end, what happened was, I also went to see an enlightened uh, teacher called Mother Mira in Germany. And Mm -hmm. she did, uh, you know, the pulsing of the the coherent divine energy through her eyes into other people's. And when I went there in the january so I had my experience in April, and her her mind had said, when you kneel before Mother Mira and she gives you Darshan, you must risk for what you want with your whole heart. And so I was asking Mother Mira, Mira for a huge acceleration in my spiritual growth. Wow. So, you know, I, and my experience happened almost three months to the day after that. So, we have to be very, number one, we have to be very careful what we wish for. I was <laughs> just going to say that. But when, <laughs> okay. um, the point is that people can, what can cause spiritual breakthroughs, spiritual emergencies, drugs, which I never took. Um, people's pigs were on cannabis, crack, cocaine. They can have I have what's known as an intense Kundalini awakening, you know, when the energy comes up the spine. Um and you mm-hmm. have access to all it is, all levels of reality. But children kids and kids and teenagers or whatever in their twenties or whoever, if they take a lot of drugs, they are many of them are having um Kundalini awakenings and they have no idea how to handle it. And when your energy field blows open like that and you are wide open that's when I, my walk-in came. So the spirit that I'd been getting the messages from for months, uh, this person said they wanted to walk with me, that was who walked into me at that moment in Howard. So like for a while, there were two of us in here. And I eventually, I, I eventually went to visit uh, Professor Gary Schwartz, who's um, a professor of psychology at the University of Arizona, and he has done more work than anyone else really in the world on... Uh, Proving that consciousness survives physical death. And when I first told Gary who my walk-in was, he said, "I just don't believe you. Uh, I think we are just making this up." Well. But after he read Divine Intervention, he said, "Look, if you're willing to put your money where your mouth is, get on a plane and come to Arizona and let me test you." And he did. And he was so amazed by what happened in those tests that he actually went on to write the foreword for two of my books and remains a very good friend to this day. So I would say what started my journey was, um, A, the stress, the stress, I was working too hard. B, I was not listening to the messages that I was being given, I was ignoring them. So therefore, when the body is under huge amounts of stress, the brain chemistry can change, you know, you might be lacking in magnesium or B vitamins or whatever it is. And C, the spirit world, it was my time to have that experience. And when I asked Easter why they were doing this to me, they said that I had agreed to go through this uh, before I came into this incarnation. I mean, I thought all this was really far out, you know, when it was happening to me. It totally, mm-hmm. totally freaked me out. But now I can talk about it ten years later very, if you like, dispassionately. But nevertheless, um, I think it's a combination of things. So, Drugs can cause these intense awakenings. Um, an enlightened master's intervention can cause people to suddenly awaken uh, to more heightened states. Giving birth to a baby can sex. There's all kinds of reasons why people can um, open up too quickly. But if people are prepared to do the spiritual work by meditating more or practicing Qigong or whatever it is, and you will awaken, it's known as an area called the thalamus in the center of the brain that's linked to sight, touch, smell, hearing, sorry, and so on. As your brain works in what scientists call a more coherent fashion, as the brain starts to work as one unit, then as your thalamus awakens, you start to see more, hear more, smell more. I mean... I never forget, as long as you live, a scientist, many months after I had my experience, he said to me, how did the world smell to you, Hazel, when you were in those very heightened states? And I said, it stinks, and he laughed and laughed and laughed, because he'd been through something similar. So what I'm saying is, if you tune into the space between your thoughts, it's known as the vacuum model of reality, then you can, over time, very gently awaken what people call a sixth sense. But it's not really a six sense per se, it's a huge reawakening and a heightening of the senses that you already have. But you don't realise Mari until you're in these heightened states just how zombie like most of us are. I thought mm-hmm. felt, I felt, you know, I felt reborn. Really people talk yeah. about being born again. And my God, I was reborn. And so, Amazing. you know, I've, I've learned a lot in the last 12 years. So there we are. Well, you know, uh, well, first of all, let me just pause here, everybody, and I want to make you aware of Hazel books because he's giving me a tremendous amount of information. We're not even halfway through our conversation yet, but I want you to have that point of reference. So it's Countdown to Coherence. That's C-A-H-E-R-E-N-C-E. So hold down, people your hands. And, um, Hazel, so what are the other two books that you wrote that you wrote? Oh, right, well, it's already? like trilogy. The first one, which told the story of what happened to me, is called Divine Invention. Okay. And then the second one was The Evidence for the Sixth Sense. And now the new one is Countdown to so They're all available via Amazon. Okay, perfect. And, Hazel, your last name is called C-O-U-R-T-E-N-E-Y. So, Hazel, what do you yeah, um, yeah, and it's lots of Publishing. So you you'll, you guys are you now it all over the blog and the webinar page that you're looking at, all that stuff. But, just you know, I just wanted to make sure you even go that. So this is a book. Um, you know how I always talk about you should your own spiritual reference library. These are books that you want to make sure you have and understand in there because this is, this information is timeless. This is the type of information that, you, know, you know, really you'll go back to it ten years from now and you'll read something that in the book and you'll get a whole new nugget of um you know, of information that we didn't pick up before. So it's definitely flipping on including library. So all right, so let's let's talk more about this um this awakening process in the in the kind of uh I don't know, layperson terms, the ones who haven't gone through this emergency level. Of awakening. Maybe if folks are listening, then we'll go into more gentle um, processes. However, however, I think that if are just the macrocosm of what can happen, I think some of, one of the microcosms of what can happen is awakening, is the dark side of the soul, where we have several categories of our lives kind of in a state of different ways, right? I and mean, it's causing us to be brought forward to that, to ask you some of the questions that you were you know, proposing earlier, um, do you have any, based on the, the scientists that you spoke with and, you know, your travels, do you have any um, opinions or advice on helping people who are really trying like, every category of their life or, you know, good half of the categories of their life are in kind of a sort of contiguous way, how to find that, their own voice again? Well, I think the main thing is, um, okay, I need to take a step back on that and, and tell you about the work. Of a, a wonderful, wonderful scientist called Bill Tiller, who has spent 50 years um, answering the question that you just asked me. And Bill has found that there are two distinct levels of reality. Now, this might sound a bit complex, but I will answer your question in a minute okay. now. So, first of all, we have in physics, we have what's known as the dense. Electric atom molecule physical world. That's the world that's you, me, everything that's around us. So this is known as an electric atom molecule physical world. But what Bill and his team, who was at Stanford for fifty years studying consciousness, have found that there is a second level that's normally invisible to us. And this is known as the magnetic information wave level. And previously us down here called it the aquic level. And it travels faster than the speed of light and is outside of space-time. But through meditation, through practices like acupuncture and chagang, when you create this, like, what we call a sacred space around you, and when you learn to let go of all your everyday thoughts and have the intention to connect with... What you might call God, the guiding, organizing, designer. Um, you can actually couple with this magnetic information wave level, and through your sustained, focused intentions, in you can make events happen in this reality. So once this is this is known as what happens when you meditate over time. I said it earlier your brain starts to function in a more coherent fashion. We're all, we all electrical beings in a physical cell. What you give out is what you get back. So if you are, say so like I was before I had my spiritual energy, I was giving off frequencies that were very stressed, they were very negative. What you give out is what you get back. So I got a shed load more of stress and negativity coming back at me. But once you link with this magnetic information wave level, this pure, coherent, divine, all-knowing energy, which we exist inside of, then that divine, what shall I call it, consciousness, starts to couple with you and extend into your physical life. So when you have people who are... Let an enlightened master, mm-hmm. you can, if you're in the energy field of somebody who's very, very, very enlightened and have spent a whole lifetime becoming that way and holding their coherence, you feel nothing but pure love and you want to stay in their energy field. It's absolutely pure magic if you've got the right master. Um, but if you're in the company of someone who's incredibly stressed and discordant and angry, you think, hey, please, get me out of here. You know, mm-hmm. we each emit a unique range of frequencies, as unique as your DNA is, just to you. So I say to people, once you link with these other levels of reality, then those levels of pure coherence and divinity begin to unfold around you. And therefore, the more you can hold this space, the more happier things, I think, come into your life because, you know, if you're in tune with who you really are and you're starting to awaken the calamus and you're starting to really get the drift and and start to believe in your intuition, you're more likely to be in the right place at the right time. For instance, on 9-11, I have made an appointment after six months of ringing every day I had an appointment to see opening Winfrey's right-hand woman. Her name is Gail King. And all I could focus on was getting on that plane the day before 9-11. I had fallen over and hurt my uncle very badly. I was on crutches. Um, the plane had actually taxied out to the runway without me because they'd left me in a wheelchair and a roll around. I mean, everything that could have gone wrong with me getting on that plane went wrong. But I was so determined to get on that plane, I eventually did it. So in other words, I wasn't listening to the signals that were being sent to me, you know, like falling over the crutches, the airplane, the whole thing. And next day, next day, those airplanes flew into the train towers. But if I had been more in tune with my intuition, more connected with the spirit world, more connected to... um, the higher realms, then I would have listened to the signals and I would have never got on the plane in the first place. So what I'm saying to people is, if you think that your life is going really badly, first of all, you must realise that your thoughts create. We all have 40,000 thoughts every day and your sustained focused intentions with emotions attached to them will create your reality. So, if you want to change your reality, you have to link to this magnetic information wave level to this, this all-knowing consciousness that's everywhere that we exist inside of. You have to align with it, and then set your intention, build a new grid around yourself, and what you give out is what will come back to you. Amazing. Yeah. I know mean, I call that the energetic grid. Along this uh, this mission, intuition, uh, tip. I want to get a million people through it in a language of intuition. I've been talking about that throughout uh, this whole time. And, and it's just something that was kind to me. And I think it's so true. The bottom line is you have to really be fluent in that language of intuition and understand it so that you can get to all of these other things. And that's, that's a really, really powerful
1: powerful
0: <laughs> The Bill to said to me, I said to him, I said, if everybody on the planet, say if there was no story heading this way, because loads of people say 2012 is a big asteroid going to hit, you know, and we're all going to die, so I think, okay, fine. And so I said to Bill, I said, I said, if everybody on the planet really believed that they could turn that... Um, asteroid around or destroy it or whatever. If we all made our minds think as one, because we are all one, and I'd love to talk about that a bit later on. It's better. It's better. Um, mm-hmm. then the point is, your thoughts create your physical reality, and the more you realize how powerful your mind is, the more you begin to, like Yuri Geller, you know, he's, Yuri Geller sat in my kitchen and he held my bracelet. And he made it bend all over the place. You know, mind and intentions form patterns that form matter. For anything to exist in this reality, it goes from information to energy to matter. So, uh, um, Attached to that grid, and then things come into reality. For instance, you know how there's lots of people such as yourself, Mari, who can, if you like, see into the future, they can see around the corner a bit? And Gary Schwartz said to me, he said, Hazel, he said, first when there's a big storm going on, first you see the lightning, then you see a few minutes later you hear the thunder, then we feel the vibration the light, which is information, reaches us before the physical effect. So when you realize that mind and intention form patterns that form matter, you can, you know, for something to come into this reality, it has to first of all be observed, and things start to crystallize. Sometimes a few days before they happen, like chaos death, or Princess Diana's death, death, or whatever, But other things have been set on the world grid for thousands upon thousands of years. But down here at this everyday level, um, we do have choices. We can choose whether to be kind to people. We can choose whether to eat chocolate all day. We can choose whether to be angry. You know, we do have choices. So sometimes just changing your attitude to situations can help dissipate Let's say your anger around a particular situation or the hold that someone might have on you. Once you change your attitude to it, you change the energetic imprint, and therefore you can change your reality. So let me ask you something, because I know this is something, I go with the energy when I'm asking these questions. I don't have any of these things pre-written down, but one of the questions I want to ask you, in keeping with what you just talked about, is money. People have really, you know, with all the world economies and all the different things changing, and money being energy. Have you encountered any of the experiments or anything um, that gives us any insight on abundance and, and the flow of how, you know, money flows into people's world? Well, I, oh, I think that's such a big question. It's such an emotive question. Well, first of all, I think that money, of course, is an energy. So it's not how much of it you've got necessarily that counts. Obviously, it'd be bad to have lots of it, but it's what you do with it that counts. And I honestly believe, my, there's nothing wrong with having money. It's yes. what you do with it that counts. I mean, look at what um, Bill, Bill Gates and his wife are giving most of their money to children in Africa. They're making an enormous difference, you know? And um, what's the name of the guy now that does all the markets in America? He's the biggest man... Oh dear, I've forgotten his name. He, he um, advises Obama and all those sorts of people. Oh yeah, he too has given millions and millions and millions to charity. So when people, if we come down to an everyday level, you'd say, if you want money just so that you personally can be more comfortable, that's fine, but as long as you don't lose sight of the fact that we are all emanating from one source, and we will return to that source. So I think that more abundance flows into your life when you start thinking, how can I help rather than what's in it for me? Yes, yes, yes. Um and, and sometimes, you know, like, believe me, I have sworn and cursed and, <laughs> and done all kinds of things with spirit on this one because the Divine Intervention book destroyed my career as a you know, journalist in the UK, so I lost. I lost my income. I, I felt like I I did for time, you know, pretty much lose everything. I was very lucky that my husband didn't like leave me because it kind of really freaked him out. But um I would say to people there's nothing wrong with having money, but we all come back time after time after time after kingdom. So in this lifetime you might have a bit less, but in another lifetime you could have been a king or a princess or a pauper or a thief. You know, I think there is a great leveling coming. We can see it already. There's lots of countries going bust. I think our whole monetary policy needs looking at because the gap between those who have huge amounts of money and those who have absolutely nothing, the problem is so great. Um, yeah. And whilst I'm not saying every rich person has got to give every penny of it away, because some of those very wealthy people A, they give a lot of money to charities, and B, we saw what happened, let's say, when Mugabe for instance in Africa gave all the farms, the white farmers who gave all of the black people a piece of land, that land is now desolate. You know, so sometimes some of us come as teachers, some of us come as workers, some of us come as toilet cleaners, we're all linked in the team. So I would say that abundance will come into your life when you start thinking, how can I help? When you change your attitude, rather than just thinking, I'm going to steal it off somebody else or I deserve more. There's nothing wrong with saying that you deserve more, but when you get that more, what are you going to do with it? Mm-hmm. So, like the contribution the aspect. And, you know, here's here's something that else, something else that came up in the, in my interview. like I want to bring up because we have a lot of people who are listening who are actually very advanced light workers who are. Have given their life to spirit like yourself, like me. Where, you know, this is our full-time thing. I mean, I have moments is my is my world. I don't have another job. I don't do consulting anymore, anything like that. We have a lot of work workers, and I know they come to me also as clients and things. And they say, "Listen, I am working as hard as I can. I'm giving as much as I can. I see all these clients. I see all this. you know. I write the books. I write the articles, but I I can't live off the money that I'm bringing in. Why is it that I'm I'm kind of bleeding for spirit. You know, I'm giving so much, and like what you said, your first book pretty much wipes out your your traditional income. Did you feel resentful? Oh that my God, you, God, you've no <laughs> you have no idea. Well, you have no idea how resentful I've been. And I can't have the coherence. Took me three years. I mean, mm-hmm. the advance that I got was spent in the first six months flying around all these places. You know, doing the scientists. Um. I mean, I have screened it Spirit every now and again you know, and said, you know, because some days, guys, can you just make it a little bit easier? Yeah. But I remember once, it was really, really funny. Um, this wonderful teacher, I can't remember her name now, but she said, Hazel, it might not seem this way, but she said, it should be your absolute honor to work with Spirit. And I said, yes, but... Honor doesn't pay the mortgage, you know. It's it's so, um, it, it, it's just that then, what happened was, i changed my attitude. I, I once met the Justice of York years ago uh, from something I was doing, and um, she said, Oh, hey, do you do work, Hazel? And <laughs> I, I, I went to and I felt really guilty, because I don't per se be quality work, because I'm here working like 60 hours a week. I went yeah. home and when I got home, I thought, hang on. I'm here working 60 hours a week, and I almost never or very, very rarely get paid. So I think to myself, well, this is my duty work. So I hear what you're saying, and I know nobody ever said that this journey is an easy one. Spirit never said it's easy, but if you ask for their help, I honestly believe that as you move stuff desperately, suddenly a door will open for you. So I think if if your intention and your integrity is coming from the right space, and if you ask without ego and with humility, I honestly believe that something somewhere will turn up. Because like you, I go in with lots of talks for free, people expect you to get there and pay your own train fare. You know, you might sell a couple of books, but, like, it, it doesn't even cover the cup of tea or whatever. <laughs> so, yes, I have had many days when I thought, what the hell am I doing?
1: And <laughs> I've, I've,
0: I've had real words with it. But then something really nice happened, um, and then I think, well, that, that was my little bit of reward. You know, what you give about is what you come back So I also think that sometimes you might necessarily not get monetary rewards, in this lifetime, but your soul is, I would say, growing. And it's really real, because one of the people in the book, Rob Schwartz, who's a soul researcher, said that sometimes the more advanced a soul is becoming, the more coherent, if you like, um, sometimes the more challenging the lives those people choose. And I thought that was very, very interesting, because you have to be quite strong to keep going on this path, because there are many days when I felt very much like giving up. And I sort of swear and I go and shout at the trees, and then I go and have a cup of tea. But your heart and your soul always bring you back. Yes, 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 yes. So I, I I think you have to trust that at the end of the day, everything will come right. You know, ask for help. Ask for help. Yeah, I always say, how can I be a contribution today? I have a really good time and make money um, beyond what I can ever dream possible. <laughs> so yeah, is there's great, is uh, nothing, absolutely there is absolutely. Up, there's absolutely nothing. I got so fed up with years ago people saying to healers, oh, well, you've got this gift, so you should give me your healing for free. Try going in the supermarket and getting your food for the week for free. You know, healers have mortgages too. So, if someone's a brilliant psychic, if someone's a brilliant healer, or whatever, there's nothing wrong with them being paid. There's nothing wrong with anyone being paid, to be frank. But I do think that there is going to be a huge shift coming to do with monetary, um, if you like, the way we, the way money is so unbalanced at the moment. And I think there is a great never in coming. I'm just not, I think it's going to, I don't think it's all going to happen at once, but um, I think some of the events that are happening now are quite shocking and I think they will continue to be so, until we all start to help each other out a lot more. I agree. Well, i want to finish here now because I know that there's so much information in the book about these the scientists and things with these experiments that you were, uh, you know, to, to being exposed to and getting all kinds of information. And one of the big experiments in the book that you talk about, um, or your know, explanations is about Orbs. And I thought it was so fascinating. Can you talk about these, the, like, the, the, the balls of light with the pictures, right? Like, Absolutely. Right, well, um, what is happening around the world is I was invited to a conference in Arizona, the world's first conference on Orbs. And I thought, to me an orb was something that like um was on the Queen's Septu, you know, when she was um you know, her coronation, to me that was an orb. I, I yeah. never really, you know, gave it a thought. But anyway, it it turns out that there are these plasma like spheres of light that are appearing on cameras and on film all over the world. And this isn't just a few people, this is hundreds of thousands of ordinary people. And what has happened is that with the introduction of digital technology, digital technology is more sensitive to the near infrared range of the visible spectrum than the older type film cameras. And all show up predominantly in this spectrum. So again, um Mari, it's really important that, um, I know many of your listeners are very advanced, but to understand that 99% of what constitutes our physical universe, we can't see it, doesn't mean to say it's not there. So if we had, let's just pretend that our universe, our whole universe is only 2,500 miles across. Now how much of that 2,500 miles do you think we can see with our physical eyes? Have a Mm -hmm. can We can see one inch of it. Wow. So what I'm trying to say is I think that orbs, as all of the scientists do, they've always been there but we just couldn't see them. But now, thanks to digital uh, technology, they are appearing and lots of people, including myself, can also see them with their physical eyes. So anyway, I went and there's this most wonderful man called um, Professor Klaus Heinemann. He's written some wonderful books about orbs, anyone can Google Klaus Heinemann. And he um his company works on uh the dynamics of the space shuttle. so this guy worked at NASA, and his company still does um, and so these aren't you know cracks out there that are that are experiments experimenting with orbs, but I've seen pictures of thoughts as orbs, and one of the scientists told me that as we die, the information within in our seven sacros, is uploaded into an eighth eight chakra that generally exists just above our head. So that's why I think that on that Easter Saturday when I left my physical body, my consciousness left my physical body, I was up on the ceiling looking down on this movie, for want of a better word, below me. So I believed that I had become robbed. And quite often um, they're like plasma beings of light. And when you look at them under a microscope, um, they look like mandalas, some of them. They look as if they've got circuit boards inside of them, whereas others have got faces inside I saw of them. the faces. I saw them. Yeah, oh, and so is. Yeah, so some of them are like the spirit world. Some of them are your children waiting to be born. Some of them are your, the people who have passed over. And so for instance, there's thousands of pictures of, let's say, someone's getting married and the mother has passed on. And there's a picture of, say, the daughter being married and there right where the mother would have stood is a beautiful orb. And um there also appears under the ocean There's a lovely lady called Joan Ocean, who takes people on trips under the ocean to work with whales and dolphins and she's got the most amazing pictures of orbs under the ocean near near whales and dolphins. But they seem to appear um at happy gatherings. And most importantly, they emanate pure coherent light. Now remember light is information. So um and dark orbs which are found at um places of hauntings, don't seem to want to exist when light orbs come near them. And dark orbs absorb light. Whereas if you were to look at um pictures of the night that Obama was inaugurated, there are pictures on the web on the with hundreds of thousands of orbs in them. And I met a lovely family, for instance, whose little uh, girl was killed. They were digging a sand pit on the beach. And um, their little girl, was sand, caked in and she was killed. It was tragic. But when they started taking pictures a few months after uh, she died, in every picture where they took a picture of the boy who survived there was this picture that was, they believed, was their daughter coming to let them know that she was still around. And so, Carl Heinemann has found that these orbs tend to appear more on pictures when you request them to appear and that yes. you have to be very patient and they seem to appear more at happy gatherings and he he believes that He said that there has been anecdotal evidence for thousands of years that consciousness survives physical death. Now we have physical proof of this. And he said it's really, really exciting science. Amazing. I mean, I was, um, I met Michael Beckwith at one of my, I did a conference in Cornwall Hall Song a couple of years ago, and we were. And, um, he said, oh, my 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 and he said, let's make orbs, let's make orbs. And he's like, you know, like a little elf, you know. He's of, like you know? spinning his hands. He's he like, fine. And the, as they're taking pictures, all these orbs are just so, I mean, it was like almost like it was snow in the room. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. And the They are incredible. And also, you know, there's pictures of orbs that look like little um, elves. You know, they look like nature mm-hmm. spirits. There are nature spirits. There are um, all kinds of different forms of orbs, the same as like we're human beings, for want of a better phrase, there are also thousands of different types of orbs, the same as there are lots of different types of human beings, we've got white, black, yellow, tall, short, whatever, there are also lots of types of orbs, and they all exist on various frequencies, because once you get outside our space-time, then you move from this physical space-time, to frequency, and so as I'm sure you've discussed many times, when consciousness leaves this physical body, you are now existing outside our space, time, reality, but you take your knowledge with you, and that's why when you get messages from the spirit world, they can see around the corner for you, they can warn you about what's coming in the future, if you continue on the path that you're on today like Spirit were trying to warn me not to get on that plane at 9-11 because they knew what was coming. It was crystallizing into our reality. Lots of people warned that, yeah, okay, going to be stopped. Lots of people warned that Princess Diana was going to die. But, you know, if, if the CIA or the FBI or MI6 took notice of every phone call that they get, then they'd never get any work done. But there is absolutely no doubt that mind, your mind... Can exist outside of space time. So, therefore, mind can be anywhere at any time once you know how to travel in time via your mind. Did you, and this is fascinating, did you, um, Learn any processes for that to be able to do that. Well, I I do that as well. Yeah, I think that people like Russell Card, You know, they they have the Stanford Research Institute. You can go on courses to teach you how to, um, you know, do remote viewing and to look at various times in in different times of of our physical world or other worlds by 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 using your mind, by utilising the mind to time travel. And I knew that I was able to travel in time because I was able to see many of our future, potential futures. But I was always afraid to actually move in time because I was terrified I wouldn't come back. No. Um, so I wouldn't, I mean, this is going, this is fairly advanced stuff we're talking about here. But there are remote, there are remote viewing courses in any spiritual centre anywhere in the world you can get books on remote viewing. And, for instance, the Stanford Research Institute, people like Yuri Geller who they tested, they would be given coordinates of a specific place on the planet and they, in their minds, would travel to that location and they were able to give specific and later verifiable information as to what was happening at that exact location. The Russians, for instance, now they're doing uh, telepathic experiments with their submarine people And these um, experiments have been going on for years and there are many people who are able very easily to to telepathically uh, glean information from people who are not at their location. But some of the people that did the remote viewing uh, managed to pick up specific information as to what was happening at that site 50 years earlier, for instance. you know, and there are some people that can predict the future pretty you know, absolutely. but the trouble is you don't know who a prediction is going to come to until it actually does come to in this reality. And that goes back to what we were talking about earlier about information being set on the grid. I honestly believe that certain events really are set in stone, but many other events we uh, can change through the power of our minds. And the more people that join together, like you said, Mari, that you want a million people to sit for peace or whatever it is, they did some trials in Kosovo and they showed that when you get 300 medicators who sit and have the only intention they have is to link to this, what I call this athletic level of existence, and to unfreeze it into this reality, peace basically breaks out in those areas. They showed that the policies went down by like 40%. The number of people that were injured went down a huge number. So, you know, there are more than 50 papers that show that this works. They tried it in Miami. And when the 300 meditators gathered there, there was less crime. There were less um, car houses. More people went to work the next day. Coherence is tapping. So when you bring... The divine, when you unfreeze it, if you like, into this reality, it spreads. Coherence is catching. So the more people that can get on their spiritual journey, A, I believe their lives will improve for the better. I mean, for instance, I should now meditate more. And when I do things, definitely, you know, my life definitely flows better. So I would Mm -hmm. say you have to be willing to surrender to this this divine intelligence that you are part of, that is part of you, that we exist inside of. And then the divine wants nothing more than for you to have a perfect life and to be perfectly happy. And I believe that we could all be like that if we could just let go of our egos and and put our, if you like, our hearts into service for the whole. And that's all very well to say, and in reality, like I just had a while with some people yesterday. I think, "Right, Hazel, you need to work on your forgiveness skills again today." Nobody said this stuff is easy, but it well, works. Uh, it works if you're willing. You have to be willing. The spirit will help you, but you have to be willing to play your part. I always say that if you take one step, the spirit steers take a thousand steps back towards you. But you have to take the one step. <laughs> well, <You> said, <laughs> I absolutely could not agree more. Well, you know, I know that there's a brilliant other um, experiences and, and experiments you've participated in and, and learned about. I, I was kind of curious about something that I, I actually just glanced at on the back of your book, and it was um, it in Italy, this enlightened community where they can walk between worlds. Do you? It, and that there's evidence of these realities and worlds in addition to our world, right? And so can you talk a little bit about that? Well, what it was, there's a, a community in a place called Damanhur in Italy. They're just outside of Turin. And I read about them, I think, years ago in Nexus magazine. And then I had a friend who went there. And I thought, well, you know, all this sounds too far out to be true. And I, I heard rumours that there was this community that lived in temples under a mountain. And I thought, well, wow, this sounds really far out. I need to go and have a look. And it turns out that these, um, there's a guy there called Falco, and he is, I would say he is totally enlightened. He is, I mean, he's just an amazing man. He really, really is. And um, he came in holding the knife, He knew who he was. He, he's an alchemist in the, in the old-fashioned sense of the word. So when he was very young, he was sent to a Catholic school, he was levitating, he would like fly around a room and his classmates thought he was pretty cool because of all the tricks he could do um, and as he grew up, obviously his parents had to withdraw him from school because it was considered like a sin against God to be able to do all the things that he could do. But frankly his parents were quite awakened souls and so they started experimenting with their son. He came from a pretty wealthy family and eventually, he was guided to form a society of really caring souls, and he decided to do it in his They called... The, the valley is called Vashrola, I think that's how you pronounce it. And he chose this valley, and what they started doing with a few helpers, who were also very spiritual, by hand, they dug out these temples, which are really being held as the eighth 800 of the world. They are unbelievable. They're underground temples, acres of marble and glass, and a massive Tiffany dome in one of them, and miles and miles of tunnels and secret doors, and, and it's all exciting. But what they've done is now, they've got a community of over a thousand people that have moved from all over the world to the valley, and they um, have become totally self sustainable They've got their own country. They pay taxes to the Italian government, but they'll also give part of their salary to the community. Um, they all give a few hours of their month completely free of charge. B-A-N-A-N-H-U-R. You have to fly to and Dan and her is about an hour from Turin airport. So there are lots of hotels around there, so if you want to go visit the temple, you can log on to the Dan and Hill website. There's fabulous books about down and Hill. There's some they've just done a huge book on Showing All the Temples. Um and they've got they this one temple that they say shows the night sky as it would have appeared in Atlantis twenty thousand years ago. They, these people say that they felt drawing to and Hill and that they feel that they've lived a the previous life together in Atlantis. And they're trying to recreate what they had in Atlantis, but they are trying not to destroy it the way it was destroyed all those centuries ago, um, you know, that they, they were without ego, and um, they just have a very, very lovely way of living and a very lovely life. I'm not saying it's perfect, it wouldn't be for me, actually, you know, I'm a picture of a, a sort of shopaholic type girl, but, um, you know, I'm not <laughs> into it's organic it. cabbages out, you know, but, you know, you yeah, know, but they feel drawn there, and they were very kind to me, they're lovely people. And I've actually been there now three or four times. They have technology in the temple there, like healing machines, and um, all of some pretty far-out stuff there that I felt was very, very interesting to see. But I definitely didn't think they were a cult. And one of the parts, if you don't mind, because I'm really more water here and breaking into you, um, yeah. is oh, a wonderful guy, there's a wonderful guy called Dr. David Hawkins, who um, wrote the most amazing book called Power versus Force. And an amazing book. And Dr. Hawkins was um, a psychologist, and he came across the art of kinesiology. Do you know what kinesiology is when you do the muscle testing? Yes, yes. Right, well he he and many scientists really began to realise that they couldn't explain kinesiology. But when it was done by somebody who really was very good at at this art, they found that a part of you always is coherent. And Bill had told me that even though it can take years to to come to a state of total brain function, which is what um, enlightenment is, They've nevertheless found. Bill and his team at Stanford have found that your acupuncture meridian energy systems are already in a coherent state all the time, um, and, and so you need to. And once you link into this, um, then you can um, open up the, the coherence in your body. You can accelerate the amount of coherence within the, the rest of your system. But anyway. So that's why David Hawkins started using kinesiology. And they and their team began by calibrating, let's say someone like Jesus, they calibrated at 1,000. And then they started calibrating Archangels at 50,000. And they found that when they, for instance, tested somebody whether they were allergic to sugar or bananas or whatever it was, the body already knows, if you're listening to it, what it needs in any moment in time. And he said the current calibration of humanity on this planet is 205. So if Jesus was a thousand, and if he says it's most people who never even start on a search of might, if they're lucky, grow five points in only one lifetime. If we're currently only at 205, That makes you realise how many lifetimes we have got to go before we can gain total enlightenment. But he also said that once you decide to place your ego into service for the whole, he said your calibration can suit up. Um, And it was absolutely marvellous because he said a single avatar that calibrates with a thousand can counterbalance the negativity produced by the whole of mankind. Wow. So, you know, it's really important for people to realise how important it is for us all to grow in coherence and for us, I mean, basically Countdown coherence is all about going home to who you really are. Yes. And once you know who you really are, which is part of God, and all parts make the whole, and once you realise that you exist inside, the mind of God and that there are many, many, almost infinite number of realities that exist on other frequencies alongside our own. The only rich thing that separates this world and everything in it from the other worlds is frequencies. So the more sensitive you become, the more you'll have access to these other realities, these other worlds, these other realms of existence. Because a time I was able to see quite a few of them. So in the Bible, for instance, where it says God's house has many mountains, what that really means is God's reality has many frequencies, many realities, which are as real to the people and beings that exist on them as ours is to us. Amazing. This is bringing so much clarity for even a lot of the channeling that I do. I mean, I channeled to do telephonic. I didn't come up with this in my mental mind. I was actually hold it's my you do this for us? I said, What constitutes you going to do? Can you okay? And the airline, I get all this information, and this is really giving a lot of validation to a lot So you know, doing the classic readings and all the things that we're doing. This is giving a tremendous amount of validation and clarity of where all this is coming from. So, thank you, thank you so much for
1: your
0: role. Wow, this is amazing. Well, I'd love to come out. Have we got time to speak a little bit more? Absolutely, we've got oh, I, more time. To so very important that, um, I'll never forget once I was uh, interviewing Deepak Chopra when I was with the Sunday Times, and Danny Moore, the actress, bless her, who's just um, had her poor marriage breakup, um, yes. she said uh, Deepak Chopra had told her that we're all wrong. And I'll never forget this journalist I was with saying, that girl is so off the wall. But of course, once I interviewed lots of people like Bill Killer, Fred Charlie, Gary Schwartz and many, many, many others, we've only even started to touch on the scientists I've met. But I yeah. remember them saying to me that you need to keep in mind, Hazel, that what people call the Big Bang that happened like 14 billion years ago, our universe, when it was birthed was less than the size of one atom. So there would have been a second in time when you could have held our universe in the palm of your hand. A million atoms sit behind one human hair. So this universe, our space-time reality, time was burst in that moment of what people call the Big Bang. But oh it wasn't a bang because there's no noise in space. And yes, there was a huge release of energy but it is a very small occurrence, And then over the millennia, when atoms were eventually formed, and then millennia and millennia later, atoms became molecules, became cells, and we eventually evolved. The point is that every single atom that is around you now, that's in you, that was in Jesus, that's in the pyramids, came from the beginning of time. And atoms... Yeah. Atoms carry memory, so if you were to hold, say, the watch of someone, say if you held the watch of someone who wanted you to tell them all about themselves, you are exchanging energy and information that are in the atoms of the watch. So that's how you're able to tell that person so much, because so when you go to pyramids and cut that stone, those atoms have been in those pyramids. In buildings, atoms are far more stable. We're not so stable because we breathe in and out oxygen all the time, so we're exchanging energy and information with our environment all the time. But when people go to ancient monuments and they touch them, what they're doing is tuning into the energy and information within the atoms within those objects. So when thousands of years ago in Atlantis or wherever it was, when we very enlightened beings, I believe, are here and have been here many times uh, before. They have left information in objects. So once you become more coherent, once you become more sensitive, you can retrieve the information. So now if you take that one step further and think that every atom within your body now, you, Marie, have been here since the beginning of time. And the atoms are feedback, they're known as a feedback system. So they tell memory. Everything that you ever need to know or will ever need to know is already inside every atom of your body. So when people have a heart transplant or a liver transplant or a kidney transplant, what they are doing is receiving a collection of atoms, uh, like a you know, that, that carry a specific frequency. They're carrying an energy field that's full of information. So when you have someone that has a heart, heart transplant, they start picking up facts about the donor. They are exchanging energy and information within the atoms of their organ. So when Denny Moore said, We are all one, we are absolutely all one, but most of us don't know it. At this down to a physical level, yes, physics makes it separate. I'm you, you're Marie, and my Auntie Nellie is my Auntie Nellie. At a much higher level, we are indeed all from one source, and we return to that source. And so once you realize it, as you die, you take your knowledge with you, you take your field of information with you, but eventually you merge with the source. And then, you know, we're recycled energy and information. So you come back and all of that information is still inside of you. And so once people, you know, people people just realise, my God, what they've got inside of themselves, they would be completely blown away. But most of us go about our lives worrying about money and worrying about, you know, what we're going to wear tomorrow or, you know, whether little Johnny's going to pass into the dam. We're all mini dogs. And we're all from one God, but we just don't know how special we all are. It's so amazing. I started off my psychic career doing psychometry, holding people free. I just I just stumbled upon it. I held somebody's ring one day, and I was able to tell her everything. Like, hey. And um, you know, and I go into um, it, it. It's just fascinating. And, and actually, for those of you who do these meetings and all that kind of thing, people just said it perfectly you know, it's a great tool to ask someone for an earring or, you know, I a lot of are a little difficult. Um, but earring bracelets, necklaces, something that's on that person's body, even a car it's amazing how you can get what's going on in their wood from those objects. This is just, this is such validation. I'm I'm sitting there like, Oh yeah, oh my goodness, oh this makes sense. Yeah, I think like it. looks it, like a rat of implement- I, I think I think it, I actually I for over a year. Um, oh, you're, I hope very so sweet. I think again, the thing that really thrills me in a sense that um, I've kind of been uh, doing other stuff. I've been working on uh, stem cells in Israel because um, I have this real major back problem. So I've been flying backwards and forwards in Israel. And my brother's donating his bone marrow for So I've been very much back at a physical level. But it's been a real treat in a sense doing this today because when I read my book, you know, you kind of forget what you're and so you kind of forget what you're yes. you forget yes. the information. So it's really good for people to constantly keep reminding themselves of this stuff because it's so easy to then get bogged down in yes. our everyday reality and keep like I now, as I speak, I think right Hazel, I must get back to doing more meditating. I must get back to my tea. Because all of these things help to increase or unfreeze this this wonderful consciousness all around you and, and it just really does help make get out you know, get out of nature a lot more. Um connect to to, to nature. But knowing that um on a, a physics level you you are connecting with this magnetic information that wave level and when you couple with it And when you learn to have sustained, focused intentions and believe with your whole heart and mind that you deserve what you're asking for, it will come, you must have emotion with it. Emotion produces something called deltons, and in science, deltons act like the toner, um, like in a photocopying machine, they help bring things into this reality. So the more you can really feel with your emotions what you want and what you desire, and, and sustain it, then it reaches a process where it attaches to your grid in geometric patterns, and then it can come into your reality. But if you don't think you deserve something, and if you don't put enough emotion into it, and if you don't connect and couple with this other level of existence, then you can whistle a out somehow, and nothing is going to happen. Now, this is huge, what you just said is huge, it's just like, this is like, there's a lot been ridiculous amount of nuggets in this, this conversation. That one was just huge. So I just sort of go back to it because people are going to be asking. And that is these um the difference between being emotionally aligned so that these deltons attached and the tools of geometric forms of bring into reality, so they're like the purple beaches of manifestation. And being attacked so that you're holding on to the outcome. No, you, you, you mustn't really hold on to the outcome, you know, because there seems to be a blocking process. Um, I, I believe that what you have to do is do what we said earlier. You have to, first of all, couple with this other level of intention, uh, sorry, this other level of reality. And I personally love meditating, so you tune into the space between your thoughts. But it doesn't matter whether you do drumming or to or... Or whatever I see whatever it is, or walking in nature, have the intention to couple with other levels of reality. So then I that you put your in- attention on an intention to bring it into being. Like I knew once, I'd, once I'd, I once I once I decided, if you like, to to write Countdown to Kohl's, like I, I had no idea how I was going to find. find it, I had no idea how the journey would unfold. But the minute I, I said to say, okay guys, I said I'll surrender. I'm just gonna leave it to you. Um I'll do my part, like I kept getting on the planes and going seeing the only thing to people. But if you could read some of the synchronicities that came into my life, um, you know, like I'm I'm saying it takes two hearts. It's us down here, so we're spirit in a physical bio body suit, living an experience, okay? So you have to, first of all, have the intention to couple with these other levels of reality. You then have to be willing to play your part. If you want to win the lottery, you have to go and buy a ticket. You know, it's not going to fall out of the
1: sky.
0: But you have to be realistic. So you have to be willing to play your part. And if you are doing something for the right reasons, and it seems to serve a higher purpose, then it can and will happen. And there are always multiple realities here. Nothing is black and white. People say to me, okay, well, I don't want my four-year-old child to die of cancer. Um, And I am coupling, and I'm listening, and I'm praying, and I'm putting so much emotion into this, and yet my child is going to die, and many children do die. And I can't answer that question except to say that at a soul level, Maybe that soul told that. There are multiple realities here. The parents might not want their child to die, but maybe the soul of that child does for a whole host of reasons. I can't answer every question, but we also live in a physical world, and it happens. And so, yes. you know, sometimes genetically, you might be born with a previous predisposition to a specific disease. You might have been um, exposed to nuclear radiation, you might have have a lifetime eating the wrong food. You know, there are many reasons why people move on or die or why certain things happen to them. And I can't answer every question, but I do know that if everybody just begins on their spiritual journey in whatever way they can, you don't have to give all the possessions away, otherwise you become part of the problem rather than part of the solution. You just have to do what you can when you can. Any day, even if it's only making someone smile, even if it's like I was in the supermarket the other day and this dear old lady just didn't have the last ten dollars to pay to have food, and I said for God's sake, you know, take it. And she was absolutely amazed, and like that kind of made her day. Whereas for me, it was just ten dollars, you know. So I think that. It's the simplest thing. What you give out is what you you get back, and what goes around comes around. So the more you can put yourself in service to the whole, the more the whole will serve you. Absolutely phenomenal. I I just want to say thank you because this has been... The amount of information you have provided, and it's just fine. And it's only it's about a grown kid who could
1: keep going,
0: <laughs> I know, Oh my so god, several, maybe maybe we'll the circles are more. Maybe we'll do a master course we'll together or something. We'll come up with something that we can do today that folks can get more more of you because I think the world is, I mean, I guess the world kind of already knows about you because you you've been around for a while, but I just, I'm just like, I'm really just. The high so, everybody, listening? Oh, Um how can people get a hold of you, your book, your uh, you have a website? Sure, it's, um, it's www.hazelcourtney.com, uh Hazel Corsley, which is so it's Hazel, www, But May I just say to your listeners I'm about to, um, at the end of April undergo major final surgery. <laughs> Nobody ever said it to you. Um yeah. and I will not be answering emails for six weeks after that. I just can't. So um I'll do my best between now and then, but I'm really, really busy. I get hundreds of emails a week. Um yeah. and um I, I think that at the moment if people send me thousands of questions I'm just not going to be able to cope. But um all the information that I give them today is in those three books and I know I think people would just do nothing but solo stuff. I think it's so you know but um it, it, it's true that the information is already out there, you know, but if they want to email me any time after the end of June then I'd be happy to um, you know, get as many um, back And I just remembered the name of the guy, who is the guy that burns um, Barksharth away? You know, wow. the big investor we were talking about earlier, the guy who's given millions and millions and millions away. Barksharth away, who's, oh my god, why can't, you know, the minute I hang up I'm going to think about yeah. this. <laughs> It's really funny, my brain is now so keen to spirit that you know, I just can't think of grounded stuff. But anyway, it's just that a very modest man, but anyway. Um, but there we are. So I think that um, if people believe that the world will end in 2012, and enough people think that, then that will attach to the grid, and that could potentially become our reality. But if enough people think that we could make this heaven on earth, and that's what the message, I remember at the height of my experience when I literally every thought I had was creating my reality instantaneously. It was unbelievable. I ran around the house saying everything